All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we'll be. If you're new with us, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and we are making our way through the book of Hebrews. I think we're on week 30-something, but after 30, you just lose track. Um, And we are making our way slowly through Hebrews 10. And I'm going to tell you, because I already preached this sermon once in our 9 a.m., this sermon will have kind of an abrupt ending, and that's purposeful. And so this series will kind of have two parts, maybe three parts in Hebrews 10 uh, this morning. And so we're going to be in verses 19 through 25. So stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. If you don't have your copy of God's word, it'll be on the screen behind me. Verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right, so keep keep your copy of God's word open. What we'll do is go verse by verse through this uh, together. Um, I don't think this statement is going to shock any of you, but life is hard, right? Anybody over the age of four and a half in here is nodding their head, right? Um, But life is not only hard, life can at times be especially a battle. And uh, most of you have experienced that on one level or another, but the spiritual life, the life of, of, of faith is especially a battle. Paul talks about this, and there are other places in our, our Bible that talks about this, about us as Christians or disciples of Jesus fighting the good fight of faith. You see, there are certain things as believers that we contend for, that we fight for. And I don't mean that we fight to be contentious, I don't mean that we fight to be obnoxious. I truly mean contend for the things that Jesus calls us to contend for. And in our life, what is the ultimate? The ultimate would be that we know and experience the joy of Jesus, the delight of walking with Christ. That's what we contend ultimately for. And the spiritual life is a battle because every other turn, it seems, there is something contending or battling for our attention to go away from that, is it not? To distract you, to, to kind of get you to peel off of what we really want to be about as Christ followers. You see, the audience of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews to whom this letter was written, they're in a battle. And the battle in the context history tells us is this, that they're facing the church the Christ followers, these new, newly uh, formed Christians are facing persecution. They're facing loss. 
because of their profession of Christ. They're facing loss of family, loss of jobs, loss of houses and property. They're facing, they're facing pain, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. Hebrews 12, that we'll get to in, in who knows how long, will say to this group who are suffering in battle, you have resisted, but not yet to the point of death. That's pretty extreme, right? Like you've battled, you, you have faced a lot of persecution, but you've not quite resisted to the point of giving your life. Like it's talking about martyrdom. That for your profession of faith, you may lose your literal life. You've resisted up to the point, but your life hasn't been given yet for the cause of Christ. And here in America, that, like, the word martyrdom is only talked about, right, typically, in the church. Like when we read through the book of Acts or we get to places like Hebrews, right? But like around the world, you talk around the world, this is, this is a very real thing. That there are those around the world who, when they profess Christ, they lose everything and have the potential even to lose their lives. And I think it's good, even as Mike was sharing, it's so good for us as a church, particularly in America, particularly in the comfort of where we find ourselves in McKinney, Texas, for us to hear about the global kingdom of God breaking forth. How, how our, our faith is a global faith. How the fastest church is not the American church in terms of growth. The fastest church in the world, the one that's growing at the fastest rate, you want to know where it is? Iran. One of the most persecuted places, followed probably pretty closely by China next. It's hard to measure numbers in China, but those are probably the two most fastest growing places where the gospel is going forth. Because it's easy? No. Because here's what we know about Christianity. It doesn't thrive in ease physical ease. Christianity, our faith, look at me, our faith thrives when it's pressed. When you and I, even in our lives individually, are pressed. Why? Because we find out if we really believe what we say. If our anchor, to use Hebrews, if our anchor really holds fast in times of struggle, in persecution, or tribulation, and that's the context of Hebrews, and, and that's the context by which we find ourselves in chapter 10. And for some of you, even as I talk about life and how hard it is in a battle, you are resonating with that because you are uniquely and maybe specifically walking through something today. But how do we make it as Christians? If that's life, and that's particularly the spiritual life for us as disciples, a battle, fight the good fight of faith. How do we make it? Well, Hebrews 10, what it's going to put very clearly before us, and you probably picked this up as I was doing the scripture reading, is this, that the fight of faith is a community project. The fight for perseverance is something we must do together. Your faith in your fight for faith, your contending for faith in Jesus Christ is not a solo project. It is a required communal effort in your life and in my life. So everything we've learned in the last nine chapters, Hebrews here in chapter 10, the middle of chapter 10, is about to get very, very practical with these implications. 
So let's, let's look at it. Verses 19 through 21, I'm going to go really quickly through, and we're just going to walk through it. Those three verses, 19, 20, and 21, if you want a high-level Cliff's Notes version, which I know some of you like Cliff's Notes. Yeah, that's how I made it through high school, all right? Um, if you want a Cliff's Notes version of what Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews to this point has been about, read those three verses. That is exactly what we've unpacked. And it's over the last several months, we have, we have just seen some incredible, what I call Christ, Christology, okay? And listen, don't lose it on that word. Christology just means it has been centered on the beauty of Christ time and time again, that he's our high priest. He's the way in which we draw near to God. It's been this unbelievable picture of, of an Old Testament, New Testament articulation of the shadows versus the substance. And the substance is who? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And with everything, listen, as complex as the book of Hebrews actually is, the message is very simple. Jesus is better. That is the message that the writer of Hebrews is trying to drive home to his audience and then to us today. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything else you would want to give your life or your energies to. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than even martyrdom. The risk of your life, it's worth it. Why? Because what Jesus offers you is so much better. This is crazy talk. He says, and this is why, and he has elaborated on those examples. Now, even still, imagine you find yourself, and some of you, this is going to be really easy because you are walking through some, some very difficult things. Imagine you're in those moments. How do you fight? How are you going to battle? How are you going to contend in those dark spaces, in those dark moments? Hebrews is going to tell us. And Hebrews 10, listen to me, is getting on the sidewalk of where we live. Okay, this is going to get very practical. And so, like I said, this is probably a two-part, maybe three-part part message on this. But verses 22, 23, 24, and concluding in 25 are practical examples of how we are to contend or fight as Christians. And the first thing is this, I want to see it in verse 22, is that we collectively must help each other to draw near to God. Look at it in your Bible. Let us draw near. How do I know that the writer of Hebrews has just transitioned to talking to a community of people? You say, well, the letter was written to community. Yeah, but he has been very personal in the last couple chapters. Now he changes his language to let us. That's communal language, right? This is not just about you drawing near. This is about us participating together in doing what? Drawing near to God. And I love what it says after that. How do we draw near to God collectively? Let us draw near with a true heart. A true heart. It gives us instruction on actually how to do this. Now, the word true, um, I want you to understand it in this way, and this is what it means biblically. It means without pretense. Uh, maybe a, an easier way to say that, without faking it. Something even Tessa said up here, right? Like, can we just be on it? Can we just be true for just a second? That the church has a reputation, both, both, both incorrectly and correctly, as being a people who just put up facades. Who, who really, like, when, when people peer in, like the watching world's looking in, and even from the inside out, it's just like, it's just, it seems like a bunch of, like, fake people. Have any of you said that? Don't raise your hand, Please. Have you ever experienced that maybe? But what 
the writer of Hebrews is telling us today is this, that communally, here's how we approach God with a true, sincere heart. Not with masks, not hiding behind a facade, but honestly. Easier said than done, right? And we all can nod to that if we're being honest, right? Remember, we're trying to work toward being honest together. Because why do I put on a mask in church? Why do, I, why, why do I try to put my best foot forward, the facade? Why, why do I not live with my brothers and sisters in Christ in honesty? Why do I not draw near to God in honesty before you? Because I really care about what you think about me. Just being honest, right? I really care how you perceive me. And what drives me most is not my honesty before the Father. We'll talk about that in just a second. But what drives me most is your perception of me. Man, I hope they think that he's a good guy, a good Christian, a good pastor. And I hope the reality of my life would lend you to believe that way. But what drives me most, and for some of you, what drives you most is the perception of other people and the fear of what she or he think about you. And so you put on life. Why? Because here is the reality. You come into this space and place, not primarily or first, it's important, but to be before one another. You come in this space and this place primarily to be before the Lord together. And let me tell you something about God. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your heart. He knows your struggle. He knows your temptation. He knows your joys better than you do. He's wired you. And so why in the world do we think we could ever come into a space or place with a dishonesty before a God who knows us? We're fooling ourselves. A God who knows you. And so here is the community, here's the power of the community. So just as much as we would want to grasp that intellectually and theologically, we must implement that practically. That we want to come and draw near to God collectively and communally, not faking it, right? Not just, you know, hey, all things are cupcakes and roses, but going, no, there are days, sometimes there are days, there are weeks, there are months, there are years where my teeth are kicked in and they're really hard and I'm really tired. And I want to come into my community and be encouraged to draw near to God, to find him in this space, in this place. We don't need each other's advice. What we need to encourage one another is this, draw near to God. Draw near to the one that we've read for nine and a half chapters in Hebrews who is sufficient to meet you there, who longs to be there, who's making intercession for you, who's appealing before the right hand of the Father for you today. Come honestly before him. And so my prayer, even as I come to this text in, in verse 22, is this, oh God, make us a community of people who would wage war against the facade against the idea of faking it till you make it, that we would be a people who come into the light. And so I want to ask a question. With each one of these two points, I'll, I'll ask a question um, about your life as it relates to the community. Um, is your life moving people closer to or further from God? How you orchestrate your life, how you live your life, is it drawing people toward God or away from God? 
I think one of the reasons we also struggle with this um, is because of our past experiences in places like the church, of how you've been treated when you've been honest. And I'm not saying that's true of here. Definitely, listen, there is no perfect church, and the Parks Church is part of that club of imperfect churches. But some of you go, I, I've been honest in a community before, and I was rejected. I was honest, and I was shut out, or I wasn't loved, or whatever may be the case. And so for you, it's a past experience that shades hearing Hebrews 10, and you're going, I don't think I can. Listen, you applying Hebrews 10 is not based on how another community treated you. Your assurance of Hebrews 10 is rooted in how God looks at you. So hear me as a church. This is an instructive to our church. We treat others in our community how God treats them. And how does he treat them? How does he treat you and me when we come before him with honesty, when we come before him in full struggle? Here's how he treats us. It's in verse 22. Look, it's tucked in there. In full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. That is what God sees in us and does in us through Christ. He has made us clean. He has made us whole. He has made us pure because of Christ. So we as a community, we can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. But what do we reflect to those who are coming in struggle, who are those in coming in hard times? Listen, we go, no, listen. Here's who Christ has declared you to be. And I'm going to love you to declare that to you and walk with you, and love you, and serve you, and care for you. That's what a real community looks like. It's wrestling with, okay, how does God see you through Christ? And I want to walk with you like that. And listen, sometimes that looks like hard grace, tough grace, right? This is not just flippant, like, oh, how have come here? Just all hugs. Sometimes we do need hugs, right? Let's be okay. We do need hugs. But other times it's going, no, we're going to set up some clear boundaries, and that's love. Other times it's, no, I want to pull you so close, right? It's being actually spirit-led to exemplify the heart of Christ in situations as a community. Second thing, um, about that question, though. Can you go back to that question, Denise? Sorry, I moved a little too quick. Um, how would your spouse answer it? Or your kids. That might be a fun exercise at home. I won't do it, but you should do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or if in this room you're dating someone, your boyfriend or girlfriend, would they say, yeah, they're pulling me, they're drawing me closer to God? How about your pace of life? Is there even space for this in your schedule? This participation of drawing people closer to God together? Second, verse 23. Another let us. There are three let us in this passage. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. To contend for our faith, the fight of faith in our lives, we must understand that we 
should help each other to hold on to our faith in Jesus. What does he mean? He literally means what we believe in. Help people hold fast. Hold tightly to the core things that we believe as the people of God, the confession of our faith. Something like we we used around here before, we actually sing it. It's known as the Apostles' Creed. Okay, I think, I think we have it. I'm not going to read through it uh, entirely. But like that's, it wasn't written by the apostles. Okay, it's essentially the summation of what the apostles have written through the word of God. Like these are our core things that we believe. Your life in your participation in community around others, is it fostering, holding fast to these things or is it undermining it? Because what Hebrews 10 just says to us is, listen, let us work really hard to hold fast to the things that we as believers should be holding. Bible-believing believers should be holding fast to. Some of you, you're really good at getting community members to hold fast to other peripheral things because you're really, really passionate about them. Or they really get you worked up. But I'm talking about the core. I'm talking when he's talking to the people here in Hebrews to go, no, these are the core tenets of our faith. Are you really spurring people on to hold fast to those things? That Jesus is better. That he's the only way of salvation. That all of these things that we break down in the Apostles' Creed, that we see in the Word of God, are true. And we're actually working toward holding more fast to those. This is not like culture, if you will, to use that word, is going to get less slippery as time goes on. Right? That's not what the Bible says. Even as it talks about here, as the day draws near, the capital D day, that means the return of the Lord. It says, let us consider and do this more as that day draws near. So that more is even increased since the original writing of Hebrews to us here in 2022. Are we doing this more? Are we holding fast? Are we spurring one another along more and holding on to the things that really matter? And I, I can't get away from this, but your behavior and your words, it's not enough for us just to theologically get these things. Theology must work its way from our minds to our hearts to our feet. And that's where we are today. Is the way that you live and the words that you talk, do they encourage others to hold their faith? Parents, again, back, back to parenting. Hypocrisy is the quickest way to mess up your kids hypocrisy. And I would say this, because even as I was saying that in the 9 a.m., I'm like, I'm a hypocrite. Every day, right? Every week, for sure, with my kids, right? They hear, they have the accountability of hearing me preach sermons, okay? And they immediately like, Dad, do you remember what you preached, right? But unchecked hypocrisy. You see, in those moments, here's my response as an imperfect parent. I come before my kids, or they see me come before my wife, and I go, that was incongruous with what I believe to be true, the heart of God and the heart of what he calls me to as a parent. I'm sorry. I go before the Lord, like, Lord, that was incongruous. That was hypocritical of me to say this and do this. I had a counselor in a, um, share with me several years back, his father, um, I was talking to him about uh, how you just make it in ministry sustainable, how, how you just make it long-term and uh, he had just this way, he said a lot of other things that I don't remember, but he said this one phrase, um, and he said, my dad, what I observed in my dad was that he was the same guy in the pulpit that was on the foot of my bed every night. And I thought, you know, that's what I want my kids to say. 
that the dad they saw in front of the church or with the church preaching the word of God is the same man who sits at the end of my bed every night and talks to me and loves me, or the same man who operates in our house. Listen, I can tell you in ministry, there are often times where those two things are very different. The man on Sunday morning or the minister on Sunday morning is very different than the man in the house. And I can tell you the result with their kids and their lives. It's devastating. And I'm going, God, help me. Help me to be the same man with my church community as I am with my family. Now, now you go, well, praise God, I'm not in ministry. No, 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 you are. That's the lie. You are in ministry, Christ follower. The work he's entrusted to you, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or whether you're a business leader or you're a teacher or you're whatever, you're in ministry. You're before people. Listen, if you're one way at the office and one way, that's hypocritical, right? Maybe you're gentle and kind at the office, but you get home and by golly, it's an iron fist. Who's this guy? Who's this gal? It's incongruous. That's where we need the community. That's where we need one another spurring each other along to go, no, hold fast to our confession of faith. Make our lives collectively be a picture of Christ and let us, we need to contend for that. We need each other. I can't do that in a silo. You can't do that in a silo. Some of you have tried to do it as a solo project and you have fallen. And the question here is this, do you have a preserving influence or a corrupting influence on those around you. I mean both inside and outside the church. Would they say, man, that, 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 when, when that lady is around, like I, I just feel like I know Christ and see Christ better. I hear, I hear it in the way she talks. I hear it in the way she talks about her husband or how she speaks about her kid, whatever. I just see it in her. There's this preserving effect and influence that happens with that. Or is it the opposite? Um, I, I brought this idea up in the 9 a.m. Um, around a word that is getting a lot of traction, has been for several years now, this idea of deconstructionism. Um, and this is essentially the idea that is pervading uh, our, our culture and our society where everybody is just kind of questioning everything about their faith, about their upbringing, about what, what, what's going on here, going on there. And I'm not going to speak too much to that other than just give a gentle warning to us. A gentle warning to us. And it is, we are a people, we're a church that is okay asking questions. We have it, literally a class going on right now in our Roots series where it's about questions. They're going through suffering and, and they're going through questions of injustices and all, all these different things. They're unpacking these really hard things, the problem of sin and evil, right? It's awesome. We're not against questions. But what we are against is people destroying other people's faith and leaving other, even other believers so confused and entitled that they go, I don't know what I believe. I don't know up from down. I, I don't know what's capital T truth and lowercase t truth. Everything has just been so, you know, I don't even know if this gathering, we should be par participating in it. And everything is just getting so pulled out and, and deconstructed, if you will, that what's left are just these shambles and people are going, I don't know what I believe anymore. And for some of you who are really wrestling with your faith, we want to welcome you, we want to bring you into that conversation, bring you into the, those dialogues. For others of you, 
you're being led, and this is just a warning to you, you're being led down a path that is six inches over six inches diverting off from capital T truth, from the word of God being our anchor, from the true confession of our faith being the things that we hold fast to. Right, you want to talk about denominational, you want to talk about, we want to talk about all those things, yes, but they're peripheral. We want to hold fast to the main things. We want to hold fast to the things that are true. I, I, there are all these places in the Bible that says, woe to you, woe to you. And one of them that is most strong is this, woe to you who would cause the little ones to stumble. And if you remember his words, he says, it's better for you to tie a millstone around your neck. I'm like, What? Like, that's like a, like a gangster-style death, okay? It's better for you to have that than for you to lead a little one astray. And what does it mean by little? It doesn't mean just kids. I think it does imply that a little bit, but immature. Those who are vulnerable, those who are new or recent converts, woe to you. Woe to you who might take your platform to undermine the faith of others. You say, well, good thing I don't have a platform. Once again, you have a ministry and a platform, all of you. If you're a middle schooler here, you have a platform as being a student, a high schooler. Maybe you have a platform of a classroom or a parent, a spouse. Woe to you who would use that platform to bring confusion and not to fan the flame of people holding fast to our true faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as a community to deconstruct the things we need to de deconstruct that get in the way of holding fast. But help us as a community to spur one another along, to hold fast to Christ. And the third thing, and this is verses 24 and 25, and this is where the ab abrupt ending will come. Um, these are the two verses in this passage you all know the best. This is the one that talks about not neglecting the gathering, as some of you are in the habit of doing, is what the text says. And what struck me this week, as it relates to my first two points of how we fight for our faith and contend for our faith, is that the whole crux, hear me, the whole crux of accomplishing these two things rest on verses 24 and 25. They rest on the habit of meeting together. It is impossible to contend with one another to draw near to God or to hold fast apart from being in regular community and gathering with one another. And so even in Hebrews, there's a problem because he says some of you are in the habit of not meeting together. And so he's correcting something. Let me tell you, in our church culture, I'm even using the Parks Church. This is, is not one of the areas we do stellar in. Okay? And he's saying that this habit has formed of not meeting, and it's detrimental to your fight and your pursuit of Jesus in your life. You're like, Kyle, I'm here, you're preaching to the choir. I know. But I want to spend my last couple minutes here talking about habits. This is the word he uses in Hebrews 10 habits. Keystone habits, I don't know where this, um, this term really came to be or like. But keystone habits uh, are simply this. They're core habits that have a large ripple effect in your life. Okay? Very simple. We might in the church call them spiritual disciplines. And so there's some research done uh, recently around what are, the, what are some keystone habits in our lives. And this is a secular study. 
And uh, two of them I found really interesting. One keystone habit was eating dinner regularly with your family. And the studies showed the different ripple effects that that would have, right? And some of them we would probably know, like we're a stronger family unit, um, you know, the, the kids are better adjusted here, da, 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 da. But there are some weird ripple effects that studies show. It's like they can stick to a budget better. A keystone habit like making your bed every morning. These studies show that making your bed every morning is actually a keystone habit that has a ripple effect out to like your well-being on out to, to weird things like um, they're less anxious in a car that's going down a highway or something like that, right? Like all these things. And some of you, that's the only sermon takeaway you're going to have is like, I need to make my bed every morning, right? <laughs> I'm going to change that. But you begin to think about keystone habits in the Christian life, in your life, in my life. That is exactly what Hebrews 10 just said about gathering. That gathering together must be and is a keystone habit in our lives. Now, 2020, March of 2020, this whole thing and this whole idea kind of got flipped on its head, didn't it? With COVID and gatherings being canceled or them, them, them being paused. And I have to say before you, this is one of, one of the most detrimental or the residual effects from that time is that this, this rhythm and this ability to gather together was put on the wayside, was put out of being a keystone habit to, well, it's good, but we don't have to. It's not a priority. It's not a regular routine. My wife and I will run into people all the time, and maybe you've said this, or maybe, maybe you're one of these people we run into, and they go, I'll be like, hey, maybe I haven't seen you in a while. Um, man, I know my family and I, uh, it's, it was a lot with COVID. Man, I totally get that, likewise. Um, we just got out of the habit. Anybody been there? Anybody there? Yeah. We just got out of the rhythm of gathering together. And the reality is, over time, what happens is the enemy kind of steps in and creeps in, and he interjects ever so subtly something more important to be your habit, to be your keystone routine, if you will. And the question I want to ask you here is this, is my life a life of habitual gathering with other believers? If you and I are going to contend for our faith the way the scriptures call us to contend, it's critical that the answer to that is yes. That I'm a habitual gatherer with other believers. Some of you know my story. My parents divorced after 25 years of marriage. Um, but one of the things um, they did from very early on was that I... I was in church um, every week, Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday. Anybody else raised like that? I bet a lot of you, because it's a habit. And I cannot tell, as honest as I know how to say this to you, I cannot tell you how deeply that formed me in all the right areas and arenas. Now, was I the kid going, yeah, let's go? No! There were times where my mom's like, I don't care how you feel, we're going to church. And I'd drag in and I'd sit, you know, but where was I? I was in the presence of God 
in the presence of God's people. Don't for a minute, don't for a minute diminish how powerful that is in the formation of our kids and our students and adults, even in your life. I'll hear the question sometimes, what's the best way I can serve this church? What's the best way I can serve this community? You want to know one of the best ways to serve this community? is by showing up faithfully every week. And not showing up going, how am I going to be served? How am I going to be fed? But showing up every week with the lens in the heart of going, who, God, are you calling me to pursue? Yes, Lord, I'm here gathered to pursue you, but I'm also gathered here to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ in a very real way. That is the best way you can serve this church, by showing up every week with the Holy Spirit eyes to see others. So I want to close there. Next week, next week we're going to impact even deeper the implications around this. Because you're like, okay, got to do a better job of showing up on Sunday mornings, 9 or 10.45, Let me just give you a little preview into next week. Hebrews 10, while it's not um, entirely not talking about gatherings like this, Hebrews 10 and its gathering probably did not have in mind what we're doing this morning. Oh, it's an aspect in the Bible time and time again says do not neglect the the assembly or the, 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 the gathering together of the whole church. But what Hebrews 10 is getting at is something far deeper. It's getting at your participation one to another. That true community is found when you're encouraging and you're being encouraged in smaller group units. Because for many of you, and I want you to hear me clearly, for many of you, the only gospel encouragement in your life is found in this space, in this place. And as much as I love and I pray that I encourage you through the word, it is not enough for us in our fight of faith. Me serving you and just encouraging you. And this is a one-way conversation, by the way, right? Definitely in this church not getting any feedback from any of you, okay? No talking back in here. But that's not how biblical community is to be built. This is good. This is right. You should show up. You should encourage. But biblical community is built by you all pursuing one another and encouraging mutually together. Yes, and the church will set up things to facilitate and organize that, but it's on us. It's on us collectively. And so next week, we'll unpack that. But here's some homework uh, for you this week. Evaluate your time spent this week. Was there any spaces or places in your life, any margin in your life, where you were encouraging others to draw near to God and hold fast to their confession? and where they could encourage you. Is that true? And it's okay, listen, it's okay. Like, don't force it, and also don't invite, don't like, I, we don't need 150 invitations like to go, hey, let's go hang out and talk about Jesus. Like, you wanna invite each other? That's awesome, do that. But it's okay if you get through this week and go, I don't have that space in that place. Then we wanna talk next week, biblically, how we get there, how we go there, okay? So that's what I'd just say. Um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is true. It is um, God, just so spot on in our minds and our hearts and our lives every week, and I thank you for that. 
Father, I pray that you would help our church. You would help our church in this area. Um, you know our weaknesses. You know our strengths. Um, but Lord, we, we most of all desire to obey you with all that we are. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us the, God, the faith to put this into practice. You give us faith this week to be pursuers, in, in, even in spite of our personalities and our, our, whether we're introverts or extroverts, Lord, that, that doesn't matter to you, Lord. You call us to contend together. And so, Lord, I pray if we're going to sustain in this life and we're going to fight the good fight of faith, Lord, we must do it together. And so, Lord, we could tell stories and, and, and create these moments of worship to you from powerful testimonies of, of how this has worked out. But, Lord, I want to experience that again. I want our church to experience that again. Um, what we've tasted and seen is not enough. We want to see that reality today and the days moving forward where your grace and mercy are tangible to us. And so, Lord, help us do this. Help us to get over ourselves and over the fear of, of, of what people think about us. And let us be most captured by you and your word, that your way is better. And so, um, again, I just ask for a measure of faith this week to be able to see clearly and to obey your word. I love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.